Good morning, Mosaic. How are you doing today? Good? Yeah. Well, my name's Jeremy. I have the privilege of serving as one on the governing team here at Mosaic. And uh, I'm so grateful that you guys are all here this morning with us. Pastor Eric and Kristen and the family are in Colorado hanging out in the mountains, getting a well-deserved vacation. How many of you guys think they deserve a vacation? I do. Definitely. They do so much around here. Um, even stuff that just nobody knows about that they just do naturally. So um, we're really excited for them to be gone. But I'm really excited because I love coming up here and getting to talk to you guys. Um, it's probably one of my favorite things to do. Um, so thank you for entertaining me while I get to be up here with you. Well, have you guys ever made a mess before? Have you guys ever taken some food in the living room and tripped and spilt? Maybe you had a glass of water or milk or juice and maybe you gave it to your kids and what did they do? Let's see what happens. <clears throat> My nephew did that this week where he was eating and he grabbed his cup and he's like, oh, milk. Well, we've all made messes, haven't we? I heard the, this hilarious story of this guy named Andy. Uh, he is a pastor down in Georgia and he told the story about how when he was 17, he had just gotten his first car. So he was full of joy and pride, and he was so excited to have his very first car. And as he drove it home, he pulls in the driveway, opens the garage door, and in the back of the garage, he sees shelves and shelves full of boxes of liquid soap that his parents had recently bought because they were going to go ahead and sell it to people. And so as he pulled into the garage, he was being extra careful really trying to be safe, and right before he got to where he needed to stop, he pushes down on the brake and realizes that's the gas. Smack! He goes, hits all this shelving, and all of a sudden, these boxes are flying everywhere. He immediately throws it in reverse, backs out of the garage, jumps out of the car, and as soon as he gets out of the car, his dad comes running into the garage. His dad looks at the soap, looks at Andy, looks at the soap, looks at Andy. All of a sudden, Andy feels horrible. Not only did he just make this huge mess, but he also wasted all this soap that's seeping through their garage. Have you guys seen liquid soap just roll across surfaces? So he immediately goes in, Dad, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'll clean it up, go inside, don't worry about it, I got this, I got this. His dad argues a little bit and finally realizes that Andy wants to take responsibility, so as a good father, he goes, okay, and he walks inside. Andy turns around, looks at the soap and goes, what am I supposed to do now? He has no idea what to do with this soap. So what Andy does is he thinks, well, maybe if I get paper towels. Well, how many of you guys have tried to clean up liquid soap with paper towels? It's pretty much impossible. So suddenly Andy goes, I've got it. I'm going to go get the hose. So Andy runs around the house and grabs the hose and runs in the garage and just starts spraying fervishly all the soap. He's trying to get it out of the garage and realizes it's growing with bubbles. So even harder, he's trying... I have no idea how long he took. I so wish there were cameras in his garage so we could see this. Of course, they didn't have that back then. Andy likes to, when he tells this story, he likes to say, it's almost impossible to clean up liquid soap, but I'm going to tell you right now, the worst thing you can probably do is add water. <laughs> One of my favorite TV shows is The Office, and we've got a little clip here. I'll try not to laugh too hard because I can't help it, but go ahead and roll that clip. At least once a year, I like to bring in some of my Kevin's famous chili. The trick is to undercook the onions. Everybody is going to get to know each other in the pot. I'm serious about this stuff. I'm up the night before, pressing garlic and dicing whole tomatoes. I toast my own ancho chilies. <laughs> It's a recipe passed down from Malone's 
for generations. It's probably the thing I do best. I lose it when he slips and falls at the end. That's the best opening ever. Well, I know it's not really fair to come in here and share other people's stories of the mess they created, right? So I'm going to share one of mine, but you guys can't think too badly of me after I tell you this. My wife, Kim, and I had been married for about six months. And when we got married, we were 22 years old, and we were shocked to learn how short the honeymoon phase is, right? When we were 22, getting married, we thought, well, we've got a good year or two before marriage gets tough, don't we? I thought more people would laugh, because that's so wrong. (laughs) But, you know, we got married, and uh, we're sitting here about six months in, and uh, we're brand new spanking married. We had a, have a five-year-old. We didn't even get to go on a honeymoon. So, you know, our honeymoon phase was really short because the honeymoon phase lasts about as long as the vacation, right? You guys can all agree with that. And then you're back into real life. Well, we didn't get to do that. And so we had a lot of things going on. Our daughter started kindergarten the week after we got married. So we didn't go on a honeymoon. So here we were six months in. We had been fighting. I have zero idea why we were fighting, what we were fighting about, but it seemed to be a fairly regular occurrence. So we went to bed, and we were not very happy with one another. So here we laid in bed next to each other, the lights off, and all of a sudden I hear a sniffle, and then I hear a whimper, and then I hear another and another. Of course, as the perfect loving husband that I was at the time as a mature 22-year-old, with every sniffle and whimper, my heart grew with compassion, tears welled up in my eyes, and I started to think about what I did wrong and what I could do to fix it. And it's right about in this moment where you guys realize I'm totally lying. That is not at all what happened with me. Which, uh, <clears throat> my wife's laying in bed. As she, she's wondering, how is this marriage going to work? So she sniffles. Who did I marry? So she whimpers. And I'm laying here next to her, and I'm wondering, when is the crying going to stop? Well, after about 35, 40 minutes, which was probably 35 or 40 seconds, she sniffles and whimpers, and my frustration is growing. I hear her whimper. I get upset. See, she sniffles. I get more upset. And then we repeat the cycle. Finally, I've had more than I can take, and I do what any good husband does, and I open my big, fat mouth. I say to her with a loud voice, would you stop crying? I think it was just like that. In hindsight, I I can't think of something that I could do that was more dumb or worse. And I've really tried to think just to make myself feel better. Have you guys ever been there? I know most of you weren't silly enough to scream at your wife in bed while she cries. But have you guys ever made a mess of a relationship? Have you ever said something and hurt a loved one? Have you ever been short with them? We all make a mess once or twice in our life, right? Wink, wink, once or twice. I've made more in my life than I can count. And the reality is pretty much everybody here has too. If you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write this down. We've all made the wrong choices at the wrong times, which created a mess. We've probably all made a mess in almost every area of our life at one point or another. Some messes are spilt milk. They don't really matter. Some messes are harmful to our loved ones. Every person I've ever met has made a mess on several occasions. But the truth of the matter is it doesn't matter what mess you've made. It matters how you respond to the mess that you've made. It's not about whether or not we will make a mess. It's about what do we do when we make a mess. And that's what we're talking about today. 
We're talking about address the mess, addressing our mess. Now, we've all been on the other side too, right, where someone else yelled at us or said something to us and they created a mess that we're now having to deal with. And a lot of times I find that when we're on the other side, we can learn how to respond when we're the one creating that mess. I think we can all agree that how the person who creates the mess responds goes a long way in how the situation turns out. One thing that we all learn is that if someone creates a mess and responds with humility and accountability, it's going to end better than if they respond by blaming you or someone else or they respond in pride. How we experience the mess on the receiving end shows us how we should respond on the creating end. I'd love for you to write this down as well because this, I think, is probably my main point today. Humility is the, only proper, is the only way to properly respond when we create a mess. Humility is the only way to properly respond when we create a mess. Last week, Pastor Eric talked about repentance and turning away from our sin and correcting the errors of our ways, but without humility, we can't even repent. We see this truth with King David. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the story, but at one point in David's life, he was not at war with the rest of the, the, uh, the kingdom, and he was at home, and he looked across his kingdom, and he saw a woman taking a bath on a rooftop, and he sent for her to come to his palace, and he slept with her. This was a married woman. He was also married. When he found out she was pregnant and her husband was away at war, he invited the husband home, got him drunk, and tried to send him home so he could sleep with his wife and he would think the kid was his. It's, this is super messed up. When the husband refused to sleep with his wife and go home because his comrades at arm were out at war, David sent him back to the front lines, told them to advance, and told the generals to pull back so he would be killed. David murdered the husband to cover up his own sin. He's referred to as a hero in the Bible. He's revered. He's looked up to. And right now, I can't quite figure out how that jives. He then married Bathsheba so nobody in the kingdom would know that it was that what he had done. He tried to make it look like he was the hero marrying the poor widow who he was actually the source of her being a widow. Shortly after this happened, the prophet, Israel, uh, the prophet of Israel came to David and confronted him and his sin. What would David do? Would he cover up his sin again and try and get away with it? Or would he repent and humbly turn, him, turn himself around? See, I'm thinking right now what I did to Kim was really not too bad after hearing that story, right? But the truth is I can still hear her crying. If I close my eyes, I can hear the results of what I did echo in my head. Because nothing else anyone does justifies the sin that we have in our life. Nothing will ever remove those sounds from my mind and the knowledge that I hurt her that night. But with the grace of God and the story of David humbling himself, I had an example of how to respond. See, David, when he was confronted, instead of covering it up, he fell on his face and he begged God to forgive him. David repented of his sin and he turned his life around. That's how we're supposed to address a mess that we create. Humbly repent and learn from it. I can gladly say I've not made that same mistake again. Unfortunately, I've made many others. 
but how we respond to the mess that we create is what matters. If you missed last week, Pastor Eric read from Acts 19 and Revelation 2, and he talked about returning to our first love. He talked about how when we're saved by God's grace, it means that we're filled with his love for people, and we live a life dedicated to serving them, helping them find God, find healing, find wholeness, find hope. You should definitely listen if you didn't. Today we're reading Acts 20, and and it's kind of a continuation. Paul left the church of Ephesus, which is where he was in chapter 19, but then he called for the leaders of Ephesus to come to him. He was still talking to the same people. As Pastor Eric said last week, this church was a church of rock stars. Their leadership included Timothy and John. Timothy is the guy who Paul wrote 1 and 2 Timothy to. John wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote the book of Revelation. He wrote John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He wrote five books of the Bible, and that's who's a leader at this church. So what we're going to do is we're going to pick up the story in Acts 20, verse 17. The verses will be up on the screen. So read with, well, you don't have to read out loud, but read them with me. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ." Notice how he talked about a gospel of repentance. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. I love how no matter what Paul faces, his faith in God doesn't waver. Even though he knows everywhere he's going to go, he's going to be arrested, beat, put in jail, he goes anyways. No matter what mess is waiting in front of him, he pushes forward for God's kingdom. We're going to keep reading here in verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I love that, the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 25, and now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now, this is kind of where I want to focus this next part. Verse 28, Paul says, pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Did you hear what Paul said there? He said, pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock. In other parts of the Bible, Paul talks about spiritual maturity, and he relates it to kind of being mature as an individual, and how as a kid we have an immaturity, and as we grow up and become an adult, we're no longer supposed to act like kids. He referenced how children act like children, but adults are supposed to put away their childish ways. So when he speaks to the elders here at Ephesus, he's speaking to a mature bunch of people. 
Just like there are differing levels of maturity for us as we grow up, there's different levels of maturity for us spiritually as well. And this passage is full of wisdom for those who are mature. Paul's saying if you're mature in your faith, you are to pay close attention to yourself and to others. Because the mark of spiritual maturity is do you pay careful attention to you and to those around you? Let that sink in for a minute. I've been in church leadership, on staff, and in different capacities for almost 20 years, and one of the things I hear so often from people is, I'm mature, and the first question I always have for them is, how much do you pay attention to other people around you? Because that's what Paul's saying. And why should we do this, Paul said, because God obtained us by shedding his blood for us. If your faith and your church experience revolves solely around you, then you're not a mature believer. Let's keep reading. Verse 29. Paul says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. See, this is where the mess of church comes in. Because every church is full of people, and people create messes. Every church has messes from time to time. And it's normal. It's not something to be ashamed of. These verses are referencing when wolves come in and try and harm people in the church. I heard a pastor talk about uh, in Texas, he has a large church, and he was talking about these verses, and, and he said, we're big enough now that there are some boys that come into church with just the intent of trying to find a pretty girl. When they come in just for their own selfish ambitions, that's not healthy for anybody. But unfortunately, that type of behavior exists. But notice something Paul says here. He says, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So he's saying to a group of mature elders in the church, even amongst you, you can have selfish ambitions. And he's warning us not to do that. We're not supposed to take the focus away from Jesus. We're supposed to put the focus on him. This mean, the, the idea of wolves means very little to us, I think, right? I mean, when was the last time you saw anyone tending sheep down on 490, you know, in Maple Grove or Brooklyn Park? But in this time, it was common, and they would have to protect their sheep from wolves, and that's why the analogy is used. When I was reading this, I realized that Paul was talking about anyone who tries to draw attention and efforts away from Jesus towards themselves, and it can take a lot of different forms. And from time to time, it even shows up in leaders. But the important thing I believe to be true is how do we respond to this? If someone tries to draw attention away when they realize that, do they humbly repent and turn from that? Or do they act in pride and divide the church? Let's keep reading it. Verse 31, this is the end. Therefore, be alert remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. What Paul's saying is we have to be vigilant. We have to have our eyes open. We can't just be naive. And this is why Mosaic has a governing team. It's people capable of not only addressing their own mess, but also helping others address theirs. To provide oversight not just for themselves, but for everybody. 
And then this is the last part of the chapter. Paul says, and now I, com- I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourself know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the words he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. My question for you today is, are you willing and able to not only pay attention to yourself, but also others around you? In order to do this, we have to be fairly proficient at taking care of our own messes first. But are you willing to humbly respond when you create a mess and repent and turn from it? Whether the mess is spilling soap on the floor of a garage or yelling at your spouse in the dark, it doesn't matter. No matter what mess you create, the question I have for you is, are you willing to address your mess? Are you humble enough to repent like David, or are you trying to cover it up and make excuses? Are you willing to do the hard things and confess your mess so that you can address your mess? And when you do, you'll find yourself growing and maturing so that you can not only take care of you, but you can take care of others around you. And that's the example that Jesus gave and that Paul passes on to us. I've got one more story. We made a video for you guys. Let's go ahead and check it out. And have you ever seen the movies where you just keep drinking, 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 like you didn't hear what happened? It's ex- literally, that is exactly what happened. She said, I'm pregnant, and I'm sitting here going, I'm 16 years old, and my girlfriend just said I'm pre- she's pregnant, and I'm just going to keep drinking, because if I finish the cup, maybe it won't be true. found out we were pregnant a couple months into her pregnancy we broke up and then we got back together literally the day Christina was born from that point on for about a year we were dating together and you know spending every day together and I was down there seeing Christina every day and spending time with her and so then after that we just had a rough go and we broke up and we thought it was for good I mean we went to court four or five different times fighting over custody paternity child support Christina wanted to hang out with both Kim and I and she had never experienced it because when we broke up she was nine months old her exact words were I want to spend time with mommy and daddy and so we did and we found out that we had a friendship there like there was a lot of that still there that we had a lot in common or we enjoyed laughing together and hanging out and so we just started talking and you know instant chat this was before texting I had a pager still it was a long time ago but uh, you know we started IMing and uh, we, we were talking on the phone every day and um, about 
six or nine months later, we just felt like God was bringing our family together. And so we ended up deciding we were going to get married on the phone. It was really weird. I did fly up there and propose, just to be clear. It wasn't that weird. I told a few people from work who aren't Christians what I was going through, and they all were encouraging me to get out of my marriage because, uh, because if I wasn't happy, then I deserved to be happy. And all this worldly wisdom that people tell you about you know, happiness and how you should chase after it, and, and if you're not happy in your marriage, then just leave it and go find something better. Told this friend that I was what I was dealing with, and, and they said, well, I've got this room downstairs. You can come stay with me you know, six months, whatever you need, you know, it's yours, go ahead. And uh, so I had actually made plans and I told them like, I'm coming Saturday, like I'm packing a bag and I'm coming Saturday. And they were cheering me on like, you go, yeah, go find happiness, go, you know, take care of that. And, and the problem was I was letting myself be surrounded by people who weren't speaking godly wisdom into my life. They were telling me to do things that when I look back in hindsight, like those were the worst ideas of what I could do. After Kim asked me the night before, would you please just come to church with me? And this was my first time at Mosaic. And uh, we sit down after worship, and the little video plays up front before the sermon. I'll never forget the first few words that the video said. It said, have you ever wanted to run away from life? Have you ever felt like a failure, a disappointment? Like God just wasn't showing up? Maybe you weren't happy in your marriage Maybe you're not happy in work. It's just labeling all these things that it's so bad that after about 15 seconds, Kim leans over to me and whispers, I had no idea. I promise. Honestly, I have no idea what Pastor Eric talked about that day. All I remember is sitting in my chair and being overwhelmed because I couldn't help but feel God's love and God's grace in that moment. Less than 24 hours after I had made uh, that I chickened out from leaving and here I am and God's reaching down and he's saying, I've got this with you. Like you don't have to run away. You're not a failure. I, I told Kim, I went up to her after the service back at home and I said, I'm in this with you. We can fix our problems, you know. And, and I told her I was thinking about running away and leaving but that I was committing to her that I was going to stay and we were going to fight for our relationship. It's not like you make that decision and, oh, look, all of a sudden it's all easy now. Oh, there's no problems at all. husband and wife, please celebrate this renewal of vows with a kiss. crazy though when I look back like it's the friendships that I found at Mosaic that made the difference like yeah that Sunday I felt like God gave me the courage to stay and to fight but it was through the friendships that God surrounded me with it was through being in a small group with people it was through making friends and hanging out with them at men's events or different things at Mosaic that continued to give me that courage to continue to fight 